Mr. Needler. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. As this court recognized in Holyfield and Adoptive Couple, ICWA was enacted in response to serious harms caused by widespread child welfare practices that resulted in the separation of large numbers of Indian families, often unwarranted, through adoption or foster placement, usually in non-Indian homes. Over the more than 40 years since its enactment, ICWA has furnished vital protections against those practices and has become integrated in state child welfare practices. There is no basis for uprooting those practices or for overturning Congress's considered judgment in enacting ICWA. ICWA, in fact, is a valid exercise of Congress's power over Indian affairs in several respects. That power is grounded in the text of the Constitution, including the Indian Commerce Clause. It is grounded as well in the constitutional structure in which Indian tribes occupy a unique status as the dependent sovereigns to which the United States owes a duty of protection. And that duty of protection, as this court observed in Kagaba, derives in large measure from the fact that the national government and the states aiding it, acting through treaty and war powers, diminish the tribe's ability, put them in a position of dependency, and as this court said in Kagama, Sieber and other cases, with, gave rise to a duty of protection, which in turn encompassed a power of protection. Congress's uh, efforts to address the problems in ICWA protecting family integrity, kinship unity, and the integrity and long-term existence of tribes lie at the core of Congress's power under the plenary powers. It does so by, not by displacing state authority, but simply imposing minimum standards on states' exercise of that authority by seeing foster care and uh, adoption in, uh, in state courts. Uh, Petitioner's plea to this court to set aside ICWA on its face would undermine those vital protections that have worked well, as the amicus brief by 23 states shows, since its enactment. It would also gravely undermine this court's Indian jurisprudence by carving up Congress's plenary power into discrete categories which this court has never recognized. And it would undermine the reliance of Congress, of tribes, of individual members, and here states on Congress's exercise of power. Well, Mr. Needler, if the plenary power uh, has no limits, then of course there isn't any Article I issue for us to decide. Does it really have no limits in your view? No, um, Mankari um, announces the core of the test, which it has to be rationally related uh, to the fulfillment of Congress's unique obligations to Indians. So in, in that, there, it, it is an implementation of the dependent status and the protection, whether that comes just from the Indian Commerce Clause or the uh, amalgamation of Congress's very, various powers. Um, but it, it has to be in service of the obligations to the Indians. And this court uh, in Mankari said it has to be reasonable and rationally related uh, to Congress's uh, fulfillment of its unique powers. There is, I think, a reasonableness there, but this is at the core of something that is So ra rationally related, is that our usual rational basis test? 
I think Congress's judgment whether, whether uh, it, it does serve that purpose is entitled to great deference. I think it may not go all the way to rational basis because I, I think it's important to recognize that Congress has acted over the two centuries since the adoption of the Constitution. In pragmatic ways, when it has been confronted with a particular problem, it has assessed that problem, it has come up with what it regards as the appropriate solution to that problem, and has acted... Uh, in, in a reasonable manner, and this court has said that uh, deference to Congress's judgment about what is reasonably essential to carry out the trust responsibility is called for. Could Congress but, say, no, no, go ahead. Could Congress uh, go further than it has gone in ICWA and say that an Indian child may not be adopted by, an un, by a non-Indian couple under any circumstances? I think that would... That would obviously go further, and, and I, I would want to know the, the, the circumstances, but I would think that would be a difficult law to defend. And that's written. not rationally related in the same way that this is? Uh, um, I mean, it's, it's more—I honestly don't—I've had this had great difficulty dealing with this Article I uh, question, because if plenary means plenary, Congress can do whatever it wants, fine. As I said, it, it's an easy case. There's nothing there under Article 1. But if there are limits, it's hard for me to see where the limits are. That's where I, that's where I need help. Well, I, 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 think, I think the place to start, I, frankly, I think it's difficult to, start, to state one rule that applies across the board in all the various circumstances where Congress might act. Criminal laws, uh, education and health care, as Justice Gorsuch mentioned, uh, child, uh, child welfare. Uh, but, but what this court has said, and, and again, I want to come back to this, CBER was an example where it involved tax exemptions for property. But the court, the court in upholding that said these tax exemptions are appropriate uh, in aid of Congress's carrying out its obligation. What about the boarding school law? Congress had the power to do that? Congress, Congress had the power at the time, I, I, I think. Well, if it were to do it, if it were, yeah, okay. If it were to do it tomorrow, would that fall outside Congress's plenary I, power? Well, I, 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 it has to be the, the plenary power. I, mean, I, I think there are at least two, two things to bear in mind about this. I think Congress, when dealing with a tribe in its political capacity, has a great deal of power to diminish the tribe's uh, uh, or regulate the tribe's exercise of its governmental authority, like under the Indian Civil Rights Act, et cetera. That's, that's dealing with the tribes as tribes in a political capacity. I think where Congress is addressing the protections for individual Indians, either children, adults, whoever, then that, that's what triggers the formulation of the, uh, of the trust responsibility or the dependent status uh, of, of tribes. It has to be reasonably related to Congress's unique obligations, right. could Indians, Congress, which means could, could, it has to be protective, not harming. Could, could Congress enact uh, a law that alters uh, the substantive law that states apply in areas like, con like uh, contracts or torts or rules of evidence when one of the parties in the case is an Indian? I think the mere fact that, that the party is an Indian uh, would probably not be sufficient. Why? Why isn't that rationally related to furthering the interests of, of Indians? I, I, again, I think, 
I think in examining any hypothetical statute or context, it is necessary to look at the judgment that Congress made and to know why Congress made the judgment that it did. In, in Indian contracts, for example, there were many, many years where co contracts by individual Indians were not valid unless approved uh, by, by the Secretary of the Interior because of a concern that they were going to be taken advantage of. So if there, wa if, if there was that sort of justification, uh, and presumably, I don't think we can assume Congress would act in an arbitrary manner. It would be addressing a real-world problem in a practical way. No, I understand well, it. And no, go ahead. Uh, just one, one more. Honestly, I, I don't know how to analyze this question because uh, if plenary means everything, then, then it means everything. And otherwise, what I've gotten from the briefs and the arguments is that we have to try to extract certain rules from our cases, which quite honestly strike me as a mishmash. But one, one last one. Um, could Congress have required that Indians get preference in, the, in uh, receiving the COVID vaccines? Uh, would that I, be an equal protection violation in I, your view? Again, it, I, I think it might depend. Um, if Congress decided to furnish vaccines to tribes as part of a tribal health program, I don't know whether you would call that a preference or whether that's Congress aspect of Congress's delivering health care. It, it might have a disparate impact, if you will, but, but Congress has a duty to Indians and, and it might buy a lot of vaccines and deliver them. Well, but I, a, prescription, I don't a, a prescription to a state, for example, might be quite different. I, 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 I do want to follow up on Justice Alito's question. There's a limited number of vaccines. Can the federal government decide to distribute those to, to Indians and not others? Well, I, it's a very simple hypothetical. Well, I, I, probably not, but, I, but I, I just want to caveat. So the it. plenary power doesn't include something like that? Well, uh, answering what, what plenary power means, I think several things that it means. There's no subject matter that is completely off limits uh, just, be, just because it's Indians. There is no geographic uh, component which renders something completely but off limits. But there's something about distributing vaccines uh, with a limited supply that is, you suggested, I guess, that it may not be within the plenary power. Well, in, in a court's reviewing of something of uh, the Congress has done in the exercise of its plenary power. Again, the, the test the court has applied, it's used different formulations, but- Is that uh, the re reasonably essential? Re reasonably essential, appropriate, what, what not arbitrary. What, what, I mean, if it's essential, if it's essential, if it's reason, but what's reasonably well, essential? Well, reasonably essential is not a familiar term in, 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 in the in way- In English? Well, <laughs> But, but in, in, in jurisprudence, but it, that's followed by deference has to be given uh, to Congress. And, and you know, if, if, the, if the furnishing of vaccines to the tribe was part of a, uh, a general program to furnish vaccines to underserved communities, no. I mean, it, it would depend. I guess this is the point. You're arguing for special treatment with respect to Indians. So why does it matter if it's part of a program to serve underprivileged uh, communities? It, 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 it may not, but I, but I don't think Congress has not done the sort of thing that you are describing. But Congress Mr. Me Mr. No, Needler, I thought that your answer to the chief was going to be that that issue was not really teeing up a question about the plenary power. 
that the issues that they have identified, I would think, would be analyzed under the Equal Protection Clause, and that's sort of a separate yeah, constitutional no, that would, basis for that, 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 that would be, although that also has a rational basis. Uh, well, but there are two questions. Them. One, whether you can do it in the first place, which is the plenary power question. Then whether you can do it in a way that distinguishes between uh, polities uh, that ha uh, with which the federal government has a special trust relationship. I, I, I think uh, these two questions raise... And it may all be under the plenary power. They raise an ends mean. There's no doubt that furnishing vaccines to uh, Indians, at, at least if they have some tribal connection or within the scope of people eligible for Indian health care services, there's no doubt that that is a valid mean or, or a valid end for Congress's action. The question would be whether the approach it took is a reasonable one or rather it is arbitrary. And those those requires some some assessment of Congress's judgment to which I, I have I mentioned to Mr. McGill difficulty understanding how the placement priorities work. Um, so maybe I'll try an example. Let's say there's a six-month-old uh, baby that had been born to an Indian couple, and the Indian couple, for whatever reason, is no longer uh, no longer there, um, and there are also no extended family members in in the tribe. A non-Indian couple comes forward and says, "We would like to adopt." Uh, the six months old old baby, and they check all the boxes of their you know best interests of the child. In other words, in normal circumstances, this would be a perfect placement uh, for the child. But non-family members of the tribe uh, say that no, they think it would be better for the child child to be raised with the tribe on the reservation. Uh, does does that priority trump the other best interests finding? Well. Uh, several questions about that. When Congress enacted, or, sorry, answers. Uh, when Congress enacted uh, ICWA, it was very concerned about the application of the best interests of the child standard because it led to subjective judgments about by state. Okay, well, let's assume let's assume that it's a good faith and reasonable no, application of the best interest standard. But but what but what what Congress did was to um, adopt objective standards, which is. The, the child, which is the priorities, and with respect to uh, tribal members, there is, a, there is an extended kinship proposition there. So that does a, that priority displace the state court, state adoption agency, determination of the best interests of the child? Well, the, 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 the agency would have to determine that the, that the tribal family was qualified, um, yeah. uh, first of all. Um, and then secondly, the, um, that placement... Uh, it, it's a rebuttable presumption and is not absolute. So there is a good cause. Rebuttable presumption that the child would be placed with the non-family members of right. the that's one Right. That's one way to describe it. But then, there, yes. Uh, I mean, well, so, okay. So my point is that in that particular situation, the best interest of the child would be subordinated to the interests of the tribe. No, but, but the I, interest of non-family members. When Congress enacted ICWA in Section 1902, it said it was implementing the best interest of the child. The, 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 the proposition of best so interest... The, so you're saying Congress and ICWA made a determination that it is in the best interest of the child to remain with non-family members of the tribe on the reservation in every case, regardless of what the alternative is. Well, no, it's not every case. What Congress did was enact a, a framework, an overall statute that, as I said, and, and this is, uh, if, if you look at the uh, amicus brief by the, by the Casey Foundation, it described that this reflects 
uh, child welfare practices that, that have uh, come to more closely resemble what ICWA does, in fact, by, uh, by looking to not just the immediate family, but to extended kin. Congress made judgments in, when it so enacted... So I guess it, in, in a, I am having trouble figuring out how this actually works in, uh, pro, in practice in a concrete case. Okay. In the hypothetical, hypothetical that I posed, uh, would the interests of non-family members of the tribe trump the state agency determination. They make these determinations every day of what's in the best interests of the child. Not with respect to placement with the other, uh, the, the other couple we're talking about. It's not they're, they're saying, you know, it's not going to be in the best interest of the child to be placed with the family on the reservation, but there are other things that they take into account. But ICWA does not operate that way with respect. The, the first question is that you, if, if there are no extended family members and extended family can include how, how the tribe... No, no, my uh, hypothetical was it, members of no, the tribe. Right. So it goes to the, it goes to the second preference for uh, a couple in, or parents in that tribe, but that is subject to the good cause exception. So okay, does the good cause exception... How does that work? Is it not is something different than the best interests of the child? It, it's not articulated that way. Maybe some of the same considerations could come in. But again, co Congress was, and for example, if the parent, the, the uh, preference of the parents is given way yeah, but, you know, Again, my hypothetical said that the parents are no longer on the scene. But, okay, I mean, there, there are cases where there are. It happens. Yeah, no, it, no, it, it does. But all I'm saying is that the, I'm giving examples of why the good cause exception is not absolute. It can be rebutted in certain ways. It also says should. It does not say shall or must, which allows for the consideration of other factors. Could it be rebutted by the agency saying we have gone through our normal determinations of what's in the best interests of the child that we do in every case, whether, you know, not involving uh, uh, Indians, and we think that's where the child should be placed with that couple. Now, does the pro do the priorities in ICWA trump that determination? That, that, that is not the determination the, the agency would make at the outset. And again, because that's what ICWA was concerned about. And, uh, and because of the subjective judgments that could be made by child welfare personnel in looking at the family, looking at the, at the financial status of the family, looking at the housing, and make judgments that this child should not Mr. be there. Mr. Needler, can I, one can assume two, two things. Following up on Justice Alito and Justice Roberts' initial question, if the United States had agreed with England to supply it first with the vaccine before it supplied the states. Would our foreign powers permit, plenary foreign powers permit the U.S. to do that? Yeah, um, I think it probably would, yes. It, what I, I stops that from would, happening, sure. obviously, is that that president would obviously, or more than likely, not get reelected. All right? The same thing if there was a political judgment that the Indian tribes required the vaccine first. For some rational reason, 90% of the, of the population was dying or a huge number more. or Whatever the reason was, it was a reasonable reason, that would, you'd have plenary power to do that, correct, if you're the, the government? The, the, as I said, the power to furnish the vaccines is there, whether the, whether the criteria that it applied in a particular case, uh, I mean, they would have to be reasonable, but right, we shouldn't assume Congress— On this best interest of the child point, okay, 
um, going back to that, one is presuming that the best interest of the child is to remain with X or Y. That's with, a court. With I'm sorry. With. To remain with X or Y, meaning with a custodian or not. But it doesn't mean a child's going to be placed with an unfit parent, correct? Right. An unfit. All of these parents, to even be in the running, have to be competent parents, correct? Yes. Competent care custodians. Yes. So now the issue is one of policy. Where will you place the child among these competing competent custodians, correct? Yes. And that goes to the judgment of who should make that judgment and what you're saying is Congress has... Congress made that judgment be in particular because it was concerned about the ordinary operation of the... And this court's decision in Smith versus uh, Organization of Families makes this point. So, there's th so just so I understand, there's a level... It Could has you to let be him competent. just finish that, Chief? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought yeah, just were. let him finish that part. Go ahead. Congress, Congress was concerned about the sort of free-form or free-floating application of the best interests of the, of the child standard. Uh, and as this court recognized, and that's why uh, it, it, for example, imposed the burden of proof to remove, uh, to remove the child or for, or for uh, placements of the child with, with someone else. And what it determined is the arrangement that it, the framework that it set up in ICWA was in the best interest of the child because Congress made a judgment that placing the child with the extended family, failing that with the tribe, which is, an, which is a kinship community interest, which is, which is taken into account in the non-Indian context under child welfare practices. That was in the best interest of the child with the, with the occasion or the possibility or the prospect of individualized exceptions to that Suppose the in parent a particular is a case. Well, I think <laughs> Chief, are you, are you finished with your answer? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay, because I, yeah. Now, uh, is, is, Competence, the threshold, or in this priority standard, uh, is the agency allowed to consider uh, the relative best interests of the two different proposed placements? I, I, I think ordinarily not, but, but as this court has said elsewhere, for example, in, in removing a child from its parents, the question is not whether the child would be better off somewhere else because parents have a, a fundamental right in parenting their children. And what Congress didn't say this was a fundamental right of extended family or tribes, but it, it thought it was a very important right that should be recognized and not lightly, and not lightly taken away because of the, uh, the, the huge numbers of Indian children who are being taken away from their families, from their extended families, from their tribes, from their kin, from their community, and that was damaging the long-term interests last, of tribes. Last question. Um, uh, is the trust relationship, trust responsibility that the federal government uh, owes in this area, is that responsibility owed to the tribe or is it owed to individual members of the tribe? I, I think Congress can conclude that it is owed to both, and it traditionally has. Uh, Congress's power, and, and the holiday decision that was referred to uh, previously, I think, is very instructive on this point. In a number of uh, uh, reasons, uh, it involved, it upheld Congress's ability to engage in the prohibition on, on liquor sales in that case off-reservation, it rejected the proposition that just because the Indians there were citizens, that that was beyond what, uh, what uh, Congress could do. 
and it, and it said that that could be upheld because it was an appropriate exercise of, of uh, Congress's power. But it also specifically rejected the argument that, the, that Congress can only deal with tribes. It said tribes are made up of their members, of their constituents. And that's an important thing to understand about the way ICWA operates. It operates on the basis of citizenship. That, uh, the definition of Indian child is that the child must be a member of the tribe, or if not, it has to, the, the child has to be eligible for well, along those membership. Lines, along those lines, Mr. Needler, um, <clears throat> suppose the parents of a child uh, that is uh, going to be adopted say, we don't want our child treated as an Indian under ICWA. And the tribe says, well, uh, this child is eligible for tribal membership. Or maybe we have enrolled, we have unilaterally enrolled the child as a member of the tribe. What happens then? Well, if the, um, I'm, I'm not sure, it would, uh, of all the facts in the hypothetical, if, if the parents are giving the child up for adoption, then that wouldn't uh, necessarily trigger the, um, uh, the, the preferences or they wouldn't get dispositive weight because the, the parents' uh, uh, desires can be given great weight in that, in that circumstance. So if, but if it, would still be, it would still be governed by ICWA. It's still, it, it's still subject to ICWA, yes. But, but the, but, and this is an important point to understand. This is a facial challenge to a statute that has operated for 40 years day-to-day -day in state child welfare agencies. It's integrated in what they do. And, you know, there, there could be, uh, I mean, what happens in a particular case depends upon the, the state agencies or the private agencies or the, or the can, adopting couples. Can I couples follow up on the chief's questions? Um, the third preference for other Indian families, including families who are of a different tribe, correct? Yes. Okay. And does the third preference, that preference, ever make a difference? Um, I mean, I don't know empirically, but, they, but it, it can in the following circumstances. I mean, first of all, it's important to understand. Meaning that the decision would have been to give it the best interest would have been with a, a different uh, family, but for that third preference. Well, does it ever make a difference? It, it very well could, but there would be very right. strong reasons why it would, if I could just explain. No, I, I think it would. That's Yeah, yeah because, because that's, you, you could have a child, for example, who has uh, parents who are members of two tribes. Equi no, just, it, it applies beyond that circumstance. No, no, I, no I know, but I'm explaining the reasons why it, why yeah. it is there. Again, this is a, first of all, it hasn't, the third, uh, preference has not been raised in this case at all. Nobody, no plaintiff in this case has been affected by it. Um, and, but, but I was trying to give an explanation for why it is there and why applications of it would, would I think, uh, be obviously okay. If you have a, a child who has a parent who's a member of two tribes, ICWA requires that one be selected as the primary tribe. But, but it, uh, if, if that, if for some reason uh, there's not a, a suitable uh, a foster or adoptive parent who comes forward, the second tribe would be a logical place. You also have situations where two tribes share the same reservation, uh, and, and there's a lot of interaction, intercourse between them. Or you have a situation where, and this is true with the breakup of the Great Sioux Nation in the Northern Plains, you once had one, one great nation that is now divided up into discrete tribes on different reservations, but they have common cultural... So, uh, so to get to the heart of my concern about this, uh, you would agree, I think, but tell me if you disagree, that Congress couldn't give a preference for 
white families for white children, for black families for black children, for Latino families for Latino children, for Asian families for Asian children. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. That, that's purely uh, based on race, but this is... And, and this is different and because, and I'll let you explain. Because it has to do with Indian tribes. Indi including the third preference, which does not require it be of the same tribe? But, it, but it, it is a tribe. It is a tribe with a political relationship to, uh, to the United States. If the child goes there, that the, the child's... Uh, somebody in that in that family will be a tri a member of that tribe. Why? I don't understand that. I thought that it swept more broadly than that, as Justice Kavanaugh was saying. I thought that you could have, I mean, even in your hypothetical where you have a mother who belongs to one tribe and a father who belongs to another, maybe I'm misunderstanding how the third preference works, but I thought the third preference would kick in and give preference to someone who, a, a couple that belonged to a different tribe altogether. Am well, I misunderstanding it, it, that? It could, but ICWA operates on the basis of, of the child's primary tri uh, tribe. And if it, and, but if you had a second tribe, that, would not, that wouldn't come under the first or second preference. It would come under the third. Would so would I'm come saying if there's third. no, there's no, right. I'm saying, I'm assuming, as Justice Kavanaugh's question was, was assuming, that you get down to the third. So you didn't have a placement available. The first or the second preference didn't kick in. You get down to the third preference. And I guess, I mean, I'll get to the heart of my concern is, you know, if, if you're thinking about that from an equal protection point of view, I mean, let's assume I agree with you that these are political classifications. This is just treating Indian tribes as fungible. So well, let's imagine the child is a member of the Navajo and is placed under the third preference with a, the Cherokee. I don't, I don't think it rests on the idea that all, that all tribes are fungible in the sense that they're all the same or that all their members are the same, but what it does rest on is a recognition that each of those tribes has a political government-to-government relationship with the United States. And they have that in common. They, tribes, tribes have aligned over the years in common interests. They have, and Congress certainly thought this was true, some common cultural um, uh, ties or practices or spiritual practices. They, they may not be dispositive, but the, it's a recognition that that could be true. The, the third preference doesn't come up. Uh, in, in fact, um, the petitioners in this case have not identified any case th that fits the paradigm that, that I, I think Justice Kavanaugh might have been talking about, where you have somebody, another tribe with no other sort of connection to the child. A tribe is not just going to arbitrarily reach out and grab a, grab a child. They will do it because they have some interest. And it's not a property interest. Governments have an interest in their citizens and their children. Consular protection for aliens from other countries in our, in our country is a, is a vital thing. It's not property. Thank you, counsel. Justice Alito, anything further? Uh, well, um, adults can uh, change their, uh, their country of uh, their citizenship. Um, but why isn't Mr. McGill right in referring to uh, the concept that the tribes have uh, a proprietary interest in children who were covered by, by ICWA. The, the children don't voluntarily join the tribe. And in my hypothetical, where the, the parents <clears throat> don't want the child to be treated <clears throat> as a member, of the a member of the tribe, this child is treated as an Indian under ICWA solely based on uh, 
the child's uh, status as a as, based on ancestry. Well, uh, if the child if the child is a member, that is because either the tribe automatically confers citizenship at birth, which the United States does for uh, in some circumstances for a U.S. citizen abroad if they give birth. It is not an unheard of proposition. And the parallels between Congress's dealing with tribes and Congress's dealing with foreign countries and foreign affairs is is very direct for these purposes. It's dealing with another sovereign. In fact, that parallel is present in the Indian Commerce Clause, which which is written in terms of commerce with foreign governments and with states. So there's, there, is, there is that parallel. And it's also common where if the, if the parents once enrolled the child but didn't want him to be um, uh, treated uh, as a tribal member, children follow, children don't make their own decisions. Someone else does. Either citizenship could descend automatically at birth or, or when the child becomes 18, the child might choose to be a, a member, which is another important consideration if the child is placed what with, it's a, with somebody child, in the tribe. Not 18, but an older child who can express the child's preferences, and the child says, I don't want to be treated as an Indian under ICWA. The good cause uh, uh, interiors regulations uh, explicating the good cause exception say that the uh, wishes of the, of the child if a, of a sufficient age uh, to, uh, for his preferences to be taken into account, that is a factor and, and perhaps a very important one. Uh, it's but, taken into account, but it's not dispositive. No, but... but Family law cases, custody cases, are very fact-specific. And so what, you can hypothesize a situation in which maybe it should have been uh, dispositive but not. But so, some, a state court judge has to make a difficult judgment. Um, and, and if there are problems with that in a particular case, the, the person seeking custody could appeal. That, that was done in, in one of the cases in this case. But this is a facial challenge. The idea that, that in all of its operations under Salerno, it would be necessary to say in all of its operations, it either exceeds Congress's Article I powers or is a violation of equal protection. And I think that that is an untenable position. The statute has been operating for 40 years, uh, and we have 23 states who say it is working well. We have numerous tribes saying it's critical to tribal preservation, and co that Congress's judgment 40 years ago remains sound. One, one last question. Um, does, is rational basis the standard for all classifications that treat Indians differently from other people, even if, even if the classification disfavors them? Um, I, I think ordinarily the first question there would be whether that is a, a valid Article One exercise of power. If that's what you're asking, you're asking equal protection. Yeah, an equal protection. I, I, what's the what's the level of scrutiny for a classification that disfavors Indians? Well, as I said before, if if what Congress does <clears throat> is uh, act on the tribe in a political manner, saying you you know your 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 powers are diminished or expanded, that's a political classification, and Congress can do things that tribes might think are are not worthy. But if Congress is acting on individual members of tribes in a way that is harmful to them, I don't think that that is rationally related to the fulfillment of Congress's obligations to the tribes. That's, that, that, that's, a, that's a, 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 I think, an important marker that what Congress is doing has to be uh, reasonably understood as promoting the welfare of 
the, the individuals involved. And I think that's an important limitation. If, if the boarding school example were going to arise now, that would be a very serious question. Uh, maybe 100 years ago, people had a different idea of that. But, but now it is, I think, uniformly thought to have been harmful. And Congress cannot gratuitously do harmful things to individual uh, individual tribal members, just like it, it can't do anyone else. This court's decision in Moreno with respect to equal protection, uh, equal protection challenge to a statute that, co that the court thought was just outright Well, that sounds dislike. like something, I, I'll stop with this. That sounds like a level of scrutiny that is different from ordinary rational basis review. And uh, at least something with at least something more than ordinary rational basis well, it, it, ought to be applied. With, and with the, so is it, is, does that apply either way or only uh, to uh, classifications that uh, disfavor Indians? I, again, I think it comes up both with respect to Article I, is it rationally related to Congress's fulfillment of its power, and then uh, a rational basis tests for equal protection and they overlap and one could think of the issues here. But under, under the Article I power, I think it, 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 it doesn't cut both ways. Okay. I think Congress has to, has to be Mr. acting Nieder, in favor of tribes. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, anything further? What you were trying to say, but I'm not sure, is um, ICA has two components. One, if you're a child who's an Indian member, and we haven't even addressed that, um, it seems to me that that's the quintessential um, uh, part of ICA that I find hard to overturn. If you're a member of a tribe and the government wants to protect you in a certain way, you should be, the government should be unfettered. Right. I, I thought that might have been one, one part of Justice Alito's question, uh, but, I, but I wasn't sure. But the second part of ICA um, subjects a child who's not a member yet, but whose parent is an Indian tribe membership. And that one, it seems to me that most of our laws presume that a child will follow its parents, correct? Yes. Until they're of age. Yes. Even with citizenship. Um, children who are born of parents abroad, I don't think in all circumstances are automatically considered citizens. No, it depends on the parent's connection to them. But they can travel to the U.S., they can there's all sorts of benefits they're given because they're children of American citizens, but they have to declare their intent to be a citizen at 18 or something, correct? And, and the, um, this court's decision in Holyfield, um, you know, I think reinforces that. that don't so the bottom error. line is that ICA says that if you're eligible to be a member because you're born of an Indian parent, is no different than any of those laws, correct? Right. No, I, I think it's citizenship passing by descent is a, is a uh, is common has been common throughout our history, um, and uh, and but here it's important to recognize that tribal membership, tribal citizenship, is defined by the tribe. Correct. That's an important that's an important aspect of tribal sovereignty. The United States is not defining. Uh, the membership, and that is part and parcel of recognizing the sovereignty of Indian nations, which, by the way, are not by the way, centrally mentioned in the Constitution, Indian tribes. It, it, it defines them by being Indians. Thank you. Justice Kagan? M Mr. Nitar, I'm, I'm wondering if you could comment on the um, uh, various ramifications of adopting 
some of petitioners' theories of the Article I power, and we've heard a few different iterations. But I'll take um, General Stone's, perhaps, as the clearest cut one. Um, General Stone says Congress has power where it, um, where it is acting um, out of a particular treaty and its obligations, where it's regulating on tribal lands, or where it's regulating tribal governments qua governments. And those are the three areas in which Congress has power and everything else is outside of Congress's power. And um, I'm just wondering what in Article, uh, uh, in, in, in um, you know, Title 25, would uh, that exclude? Well, uh, the Indian health care uh, program furnishes a lot of services to Indians who, some of whom are not actually formal tri tribal members, but they are, uh, the judgment's been made that they are sufficiently aff affiliated with a state tribe or something like that. There's a, a lot of the Indian health service uh, uh, care is furnished off reservation. There are, there's aid to schools that uh, uh, Indian children um, attend. Uh, there, um, but there would, there would also be uh, other concerns historically in what Congress has done in the past. Uh, by, but, and I mentioned the Holiday case, which was created criminal uh, offenses for conduct occurring off a reservation by individual Indians. And there the court said, it's not just commerce, it's intercourse, which means interaction between uh, Indians and non-Indians. So any time there could be abuses arising in the context of interaction between uh, Indians and non-Indians, the potential is there. It's, it's not necessarily going to be uh, all the time, but it's very important in not to cut off Congress's ability to make context-specific judgments when a practical problem um, uh, arises. And I think if the, if the import of your question is that if something is behind, is, uh, doesn't fall into one of those categories precisely, First of all, there'd be litigation about whether it does fall into that category. But if that means uh, Congress is about to step into strict scrutiny land under racial discrimination, that would be, I, I think, an enormous... Well, not just the, I, I took uh, General Stone to be saying Congress just can't do it. It just doesn't fall within Congress's yes, no, Article One powers. Right, you know? right, right. But, I mean, so there are two aspects to that. If it's beyond the powers, is it, is it racial discrimination? But I think, I think that would be, I mean, that is essentially the shackling of, of the federal government's powers under the Indian Commerce Clause or its more general uh, powers of protection coming about from the exercise of the war uh, and treaty powers. That, that would be in the teeth of, of Congress, the framers shedding of those shackles, whether those shackles were all under the Indian Commerce Clause or, or elsewhere. That, that was a deliberate choice by the framers to give Congress plenary power over Indian affairs that was reflected in the contemporary understanding and the Trade and Intercourse Act, which enacted criminal penalties for crimes over the years, crimes by Indians against Indians, the classic intercourse or interaction between uh, Indians and non-Indians. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch? Justice Kavanaugh? Uh, on your point that this is a political classification, not a racial classification, including the third preference, uh, as I think you said, you're relying on Moncari, and I just want to understand what you see as the limits of Moncari and a couple of the hypotheticals I asked earlier. Uh, could Congress grant a hiring preference uh, to American Indians for federal agencies other than the BIA, such as Treasury or Justice or... I, I think that would be much more difficult uh, as I stand and, and here. And why is that? Be, because uh, the 
preference in Mankari was at the BIA. It was the agency that was regulating um, uh, tribal affairs, individual Indian affairs. So there was a particular, particularly close nexus, frankly, to uh, to the Indian tribe and, and tribal members who were going to work for it. So I, I think, I think, uh, other than that, it arose in an unusual situation where it was a preference in in federal employment, it was very closely related uh, to the tribe. But I think if you if you get away from that, I, it would be much more difficult to defend. If, How about if, a, um, Congress decides for the um, to help the tribes and uh, tribal members that it's going to mandate that states give a preference in college admissions to American Indians? Um, Again, I think that would be that would be much more difficult to defend. I, I'm not sure what the defense. And, and why, though? I just want to understand. What, you, you've had an instinct to both these questions. That's much more difficult. But why? I, I think it's because the the relationship to the tribal relationship to the tribal relationship is uh, is more attenuated and bumps up against interests that other people might have. I think that that may be uh, an important consideration, but contrast that perhaps to, I mean, Congress has lo long furnished um, funds to educate Indians. Uh, in fact, some colleges and universities have, have had that as part of their mission for years, for 200 then, um, years. That might present different questions. Okay, and then uh, you've, you've suggested that everything's been operating smoothly, you know, we leave well enough alone, but I just want you to speak to the concern on the other side, which is, you know, you come in as an adoptive couple, you want to adopt a child, the state court otherwise would say the best interest of the child would be to go with you, and then you're told, no, you're the wrong race. No, I mean, with respect, what you're told is, if, if it's one of the preferences, that there is a tribal political citizenship uh, aspect to the to the determination, and it, it rests even, on even with the third preference. Yes, be, the, it, it has it has to be a member of a, of another tribe. It has, to, and that that means that there that political that's a political relationship as well. Now, whether whether there could be a rational basis challenge to that in a particular case, we don't have anything like that here, uh, and and. The, the, I think the core and, and of the third the th preference is where, is where that tribe, either it occupies the same reservation or it has another parent. Well, you say the, the core, but it can apply even when it's a completely different tribe with none of that, correct? But, but if, but is, it, that, is that a yes? It's possible. But, I mean, yes, it, yes, you would have to look at it, but yeah. the good cause exception might al allow greater flexibility. And I think, you referred, I think you referred earlier to common spiritual practices that may exist in those circumstances. Does that suggest that Congress could say that, you know, Catholic parents should get a preference? No, no, not, not at all. And why not? not? At all. Why no, not? no. I, you, you said spiritual practice. Yes, I, and yeah. all I meant to say by that was Congress made a judgment that there are common cultural characteristics uh, 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 among tribes, or it, it, had that, it had that judgment, or at least that the preferences it set up allow for taking that into account because it's extended family, it's extended kin, <coughs> another tribe with cultural similarities. And so I, uh, tribal members, I mean, it varies. Not, obviously, not all members are alike, but some, some tribal members feel a very strong affinity for their tribe in terms of their heritage going back to the, before the founding of this country. It's an important part of their 
cultural stability, their kinship, uh, and and stability uh, uh, in growing up. And if you yeah, have a young you child, have, you have strong interests, and I respect those. On one side, I'm just trying to say there there's strong interests on the other side too, which is why the case is hard. But I'll finish there. Thank you, okay. Mr. Needler. I want to pick up where Justice Kavanaugh left off. Um, you you said that it would be a harder case in some of the hypotheticals that Justice Kavanaugh presented, say, you know, Treasury instead of the BIA, a preference in employment. Is that because you would say, you know, I, I think that the classifications for Indians are difficult because it's difficult, there's a racial component and the political identity component. Right. Are you struggling with those hypotheticals, or sorry, I don't mean to say struggling, are you finding those more difficult to answer because you would say that there are some circumstances in which the classification of Indian operates more like a racial classification because it is unconnected to tribal sovereignty? Yes. For the BIA, for example, you know, you can see the connection between the classification and tribal sovereignty, and so it's easier to say that that's a political classification subject to rational basis scrutiny. If you move farther away from that, if you're talking about Treasury, then would you say that it operates as a, as a political classification but doesn't satisfy rational basis scrutiny, or would you say it's a racial classification and fails strict scrutiny? I, um, you could think about it either way. I think it's still, I, I think it's still a political classification, but, but uh, perhaps an unreasonable one, because there, there, there is, as the court's cases that have looked at this, Holiday and others, there is, I think, at some point, a proportionality aspect to it. Uh, would would uh, uh, other people in the society be be greatly adversely affected, or something, something like that? But on the equal protection side, I think Adirond is a very good example of that because there was a a preference for contracting within a series of black, Asian, what you know, other minority groups that it was expressed in racial terms, and the court said that was subject to strict scrutiny. But that's, that's why it's important to look at the context in which Congress is acting, and because Congress, Congress doesn't make sweeping judgments in this area. It looks but, like but just, a practical to, just to clarify to make sure I understand your position, sometimes the classification can operate as racial, and sometimes it would be political. Depending on the context in which Congress I, is I, I think if it's ex expressly based on tribal citizenship here, either of the child or the parent where the child is not. I'm not I, talking about ICWA. I'm, no, no I'm I know. About but some but what, I, what I'm saying, if it, if it turns on tribal membership or, or, or tribal citizenship, then I think it is uh, political uh, in, 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 its, in its essence, whether it goes too far in giving a benefit to a, a, uh, a, someone with that political connection, I okay. think would be the first the first way to look at it. Otherwise, there, there could be uh, well, strict I'll, scrutiny I'll challenges to, to yeah, many things. I'll move on. I mean, it just seems to me that it's always going to be tied to tribal membership in some way, but I'll, I'll move on. Just very quickly, I'm going to summarize what I understand you to be saying about the Article One issue, and I just want you to tell me if I've got it right or correct me if I don't. In response to um, Justice Alito's questions in particular and some of Justice Kagan's questions as well, um, you were saying plenary is plenary. So you would say that Congress's power to regulate Indian affairs is plenary, so as long as it's rational or you know, reasonably related or whatever standard we want to use, it's within Congress's power, and the only limitation is it, if it bumps up against some external limit, like the Equal Protection Clause or like sovereign immunity, 
No, I, I think there are. I think there are built-in restraints. If it, if it, if the, if what it's doing is disproportionate, perhaps. I mean, it's it's hard to articulate this because this court has never struck down a statute uh, of that sort. And with respect to the Adirond case, there's no express, uh, there was no express reference or supposition about tribal membership there, and so it's easy to identify it as... Okay, but, but, but on my Article One question. No, uh, on, the, on the Article One question, I think plenary at its core means there are no, no subject matters, geographic areas, categorically beyond its power. But external limits from the Constitution would apply, like equal protection or in Seminole tribe, state sovereign immunity. Yes, okay. uh, they, uh, they, would, they would apply. And this, I just want to reiterate, this doesn't just come from the, um, in, uh, the Indian Commerce Clause. There right. is the inherent power that comes from Congress's Trust federal government's, which in turn comes from co constitutional powers like the war power and, and all of that that renders the tribes dependent and therefore in need of protection. And so I think it's very hard for this court to lay down a standard rule about what's necessary to protect the tribes and to fulfill the obligation to the Indians. Justice Jackson? Yes, so I, I agree um, to some extent with Justice Kavanaugh that there are strong interests on both sides of these issues. What I'm mostly concerned about is that we might be taking it upon ourselves to weigh those interests, where really our role should be thinking about what the framers intended with respect to the scope of Congress's authority as it regards Indian affairs and what Congress believed was necessary to protect uh, Indians given that exercise of authority. So I guess I'm, that makes me wonder whether we shouldn't be giving more weight to the statements in the legislative history from Congress uh, in terms of its um, decision that ICWA and its provisions were, in fact, related to tribal sovereignty, necessary to preserve tribal sovereignty. So let me just ask you, how much weight, if any, should we be giving to clear, direct statements from Congress that this was being done pursuant to its understanding of its plenary authority as given, it, given to it in the Constitution and that it was necessary uh, from Congress's perspective to solve for the problem of these state welfare practices that were causing harm to Indian children uh, given its responsibility as a trust uh, relationship for Indian affairs. I think very, very great deference, and I think that is the message of cases like Holiday and Perrin and cases like that. And you don't have to look to legislative history for that. It's set out in the it's set out in the in the beginning of ICWA itself. Uh, it starts by saying Clause Three of Article One provides that Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with Indians, and through this and other authority, it has plenary power. Congress is saying that through statutes, treaties, etc. And, it, and the course of dealing with tribes, it has assumed the, assumed the responsibility for the protection of Indians. Those are in 1901. 1902 says, the Congress hereby declares that it is the policy of this nation to protect the best interests of Indian children by establishing minimum standards in state uh, child welfare proceedings because that was the problem they were addressing. Yes, the boarding school issue was also out there, but Congress saw, and again, in the considered focused way that it deals with problems, it saw a major problem. It thought that this was 
in the best interest, that the standards and the protections and the framework it set out were in the best interest uh, of the child. And if that displaces ordinary um, uh, child welfare law in particular cases, Congress made a judgment that the objective factors it set out, which take into account extended family and kinship principles that family law has, but the way this statute implements them in state proceedings is in the best interest of Indian children. And that judgment by Congress, based on extensive hearings, is entitled to great deference. Thank you, counsel.